Some of the stories that we look at this week on This Week in FCPA include why subcontractors continue to cause FCPA and compliance grief, Mike Volkoff on the U.S. strategy on countering corruption, Tom Fox as well, Neil Hodge on why non-U.S. companies should be more aware of potential FCPA enforcement, what the Brazilian president must do next to combat corruption in the country, yet another son of ex-Panamanian president pleads guilty, why NatWest taking bags of cash led to a big fine, how the CCOs used DOJ guidance, should you fall on your sword now, sustainability is not universal, McDonald's claws back, CEO severance as well. All this, podcast, events, and more as Tom takes a solo turn on This Week in FCPA. This Week in FCPA is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. Jay Rosen is on assignment this week, so I'm going to take a solo turn with this week's stories in This Week in FCPA. We begin with a story from Dick Casson on the FCPA blog, and he explores why subcontractors continue to cause companies trouble in the area of compliance and FCPA. He lists five reasons why they may resist compliance. Number one, they lack expertise. Many subcontractors are large, but many are small, so they may not have sophisticated compliance regimes Number two, ties directly into one, there's no money for compliance. Subcontractors generally win work by submitting the lowest bids, so they don't put compliance in not understanding that that's a key part of their cost. Subcontractors are number three. Subcontractors are bit players and typically are involved in less time on a project. Number four, they don't think the FCPA applies to them. Well, the problem for the contractors is it certainly applies to them. And number five, subcontractors intend to cheat. Obviously not something you want to have to deal with, and that's why due diligence is important. Next up, uh, both myself, Tom Fox, and Mike Volkoff took deep dives into the U.S. strategy on countering corruption. Uh, I took a look at it from the compliance perspective and tried to show how it applies to the compliance professional even if it's the uh, government uh, talking about what the government's going to do, there's lots in there for the compliance professional. Mike Volkoff also has a multi-part series. Next up, Neil Hodge says, U.S. companies should beware of FCPA overseas. Uh, reporting in Compliance Week, uh, he looks at the strategy on countering corruption and says that FCPA enforcement is likely to increase and that this may put non-U.S. companies more in the spotlight. I think it's certainly going to focus on uh, Europeans and other non-U.S. actors prosecuting the local anti-corruption laws, but this move will have both increased enforcement of the FCPA and increased enforcement of um, non-U.S. 
anti-bribery, anti-corruption laws, and he ends with the warning companies should expect the FCPA to come into its element again. So if you're outside the U.S., expect greater FCPA enforcement under the Biden administration. Next up, in the global anti-corruption blog, um, they have a guest post from Marcela Cerqueria, a Brazilian federal prosecutor and member of the Special Action Group for Combating Organized Crime in the Minas Gerais state of Brazil. And he wrote a very interesting article about what the next Brazilian president, whoever that might be, um, needs to do to bring anti-corruption enforcement back. Uh, First, the president needs to demonstrate a commitment to integrity as a core value of his administration, obviously something lacking in the current administration. Second, the president should respect and empower the institutions of the anti-corruption system. Clearly, the current president has attacked every institution he can who's involved in anti-corruption enforcement. Three, the president must commit to working to enact legislation and constitutional reforms that decrease impunity for the acts of corruption so that uh, there'll be increased uh, results from enforcement. And four, the most difficult challenge, he says, is the reforming the Brazilian electoral system, which is the root cause of grand corruption, he believes. So obviously there are other measures to take, but uh, these are some of the reforms which he believes need to start. So we can only hope that Brazil gets back to its robust anti-corruption enforcement. Uh, Next up from Rick Vanderford reporting in the Wall Street Journal Risk and Compliance Journal, yet another son of ex-Panamanian president has pled guilty in the Odebrecht bribery case. This time, um, it's Ricardo Alberto Martinelli, who pled guilty this past week to a single money laundering charge um, in federal court in Washington. He agreed with other people, including his brother, Louise, who has also pled guilty, to wire funds that were the proceeds of bribes paid by Odebrecht to a family member who was a high government official. There's been no official word on who this high government official is, but um, wouldn't be surprised if it was dad. So the um, two brothers are in U.S. custody ahead of their sentencing. It's um, There's been no bail for them because they're flight risks, and it's going to be interesting to see what uh, jail time, if any, is given them and if anyone else is prosecuted for Odebrecht's ongoing bribery and corruption scandal. Next up, uh, also from the Wall Street Journal, Risk and Compliance Journal, this time Dylan Tokar reporting, Nat West was fined some $351 million by a London court over anti-money laundering defenses for its failure to follow up on red flags from a customer who literally deposited banks uh, bags of cash. This is the first criminal prosecution by the UK Financial Conduct Authority. Um, When you have cash deposited in bags, obviously that's a huge red flag, but NatWest didn't seem too concerned about this. So the um, uh, good to see a criminal prosecution, and perhaps uh, UK and EU banks might actually get the word on anti-money laundering. 
Next up, from Corporate Compliance Insights, in a very interesting article by Calvin London, he asks, is it time to fall on your sword? Will the DOJ focus on individuals stem the flow from misconduct? He takes a look at the Lisa Monaco speech from the individual prosecution angle. And uh, he has three key messages from her speech. Number one, accountability starts with the individual responsible for criminal conduct. Um, So let's hope that uh, enforcement agencies, both the DOJ and outside the U.S., will uh, follow suit in prosecuting individuals. Number two, uh, white-collar prosecutions fell to an all-time low uh, under the Trump administration. Really no surprise there, given the corruption at the top of the administration. So uh, the agencies involved are going to have to ramp up. And finally, uh, between 10 and 20 percent of all significant criminal corporate resolu- re- resolutions involve recidivists. So a good way to um, stop recidivism is to prosecute those who've been involved. Um, So a really interesting take on this and that uh, will high-profile individuals uh, be prosecuted? Uh, He even asks uh, about uh, Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg, um, those involved in the Boeing scandal as identified in uh, the Delaware (coughs) Supreme Court's look at that from the Caremark. We obviously have Elizabeth Holmes on trial for fraud, but um, whether the DOJ starts going after high-ranking individuals, of course, is always an open question. Uh, next up, from the coolest guy in compliance, Matt Kelly, writing in Radical Compliance. He wrote a very interesting article on an ECI-released report uh, funded or uh, put done jointly by ECI and Navex Global, where he where the report looks at how. Uh, CCOs are using information from the government in terms of guidance. Obviously, we've had several pieces of guidance. Uh, we, back in 2012, we had the original FCPA resource guide that was updated with a second edition in July 2020. We had the 2017 evaluation of corporate compliance programs. We had that updated in April 2019 with a, a second evaluation of corporate compliance programs, and that evaluation was updated in June 2020. We also had um, antitrust uh, compliance guidance in July of 2019 and uh, various FCA or False Claims Act related guidance. So this is um, information that uh, CCOs use, and the report found that the evaluation and its update uh, are by far the most used, which is uh, over 88% of all CCOs um, polled, we're very familiar with it. Uh, the FCPA resource guide, number two, at 74%. So um, very interesting report. And the uh, ECI also had a few recommendations on what be what uh, additional outreach could be most helpful to be consistent in con- content and application of guidance across government agencies. Use illustrative specifics, for example, best practices and metrics to help measure success and provide evidence that the department's efforts that recognize and accommodate organizations' unique characteristics and conditions when making enforcement decisions. So, um, interesting report from ECI NAVEX, as reported by 
the coolest guy in compliance. We're going to have a quick message from our sponsor, and we'll be right back with more on This Week in FCPA. Next, we take a look at an article by Lawrence Heim writing in the always great Practical ESG, and he really explores the question of whether sustainability is culturally universal. And he comes to the conclusion that uh, perhaps it's not as culturally universal as we in the West might think. Uh, He points specifically to uh, China, which has created uh, one of the, the top consumer markets in uh, the world, but this is really interesting or rather counterintuitive to creating a uh, culture of sustainability. And indeed, he believes that China consumers apparently take a dim view of Western ESG messaging. So what are some of the things that this mean? Well, um, you must resist the temptation to impress Chinese audiences with a Western approach, concepts, and language, and uh, many of the terms and claims common to sustainability marketing playbooks are inherently Western-centric. Obviously, consider the context of sustainability. Um, Some contain political connotations that irritate China's growing nationalistic consumer public, such as Better Cotton Initiative, which um, really targets uh, the forced labor of the Uyghurs. So that's obviously going to be antithetical to uh, Chinese, uh, at least the Chinese government's values. And then amidst China's hyper-competitive market, sustainability messaging is only a part of what will ultimately make a brand stand out. Brands need to continue sustainability messaging with quality aesthetics, competitive prices, and impeccable service to beat cutthroat competition. While uh, China is the focus of what Lawrence looks at in his article, these challenges do apply to other countries and regions, and understanding the cultural setting of ESG and adapting corporate programs, actions, and messaging is going to be critical to your success. So um, this is going to be difficult for ESG practitioners on a worldwide basis because obviously uh, if you're doing business in China and you're a multinational company, You're going to need to take this into account. Nevertheless, it's something that uh, the Chinese may not be as positive for as you are. Our final story comes from the Wall Street Journal, uh, not from the Risk and Compliance Journal, uh, Heather Haddon reporting. And in this um, article, it reports about the clawback that McDonald's initiated against former CEO Steve Easterbrook, who was fired in 2019 after having a acknowledging a cons, consenting um, consensual relationship with an unnamed employee, he was given a severance package. After the termination, it turned out that uh, there were several other instances of this um, from information that was found on McDonald's servers that Easterbrook claimed didn't exist, and indeed he had wiped from his cell phone, but they were on other McDonald's servers. 
So um, he lied in the original investigation uh, to cover up uh, relationships uh, with other employees. And McDonald's claimed in this lawsuit that Easterbrook breached his fiduciary duties as a company officer and um, had committed fraud. Easterbrook had uh, claimed in his defense, hey, the company knew about me all along. So uh, it's uh, interesting that we finally get a clawback case. Uh, and most interesting, I think it tells you the um, integrity of Steve Easterbrook that he would not only hide documents, uh, hide evidence, and lie about it, but he would continue to have affairs with uh, other McDonald's employees throughout his tenure. So um, a very interesting use of clawbacks. Typically, we don't see this, and it's something that um, I think everyone needs to be cognizant of. Uh, Next up, rather, uh, now we move on to some of the podcast highlights from the past week. Uh, first of all, um, we had our final episode of Effing Argentina. And in this final episode, uh, Greg Greenberg and I talked about what we learned in the series, what were some of the key themes that we saw, uh, what were some of the sh- shows, or rather, um, what were some of the uh, uh, tales that we both enjoyed the most. So it was a lot of fun. And I hope you will check it out, this final episode. In fact, I hope you'll check out the whole series. It was a ton of fun, not something typically that uh, I do. um, But uh, Effing Argentina was a a great book, and I hope you will check out the series. I continue my exploration uh, this month on The Compliance Life with Matt Silverman, the Director of Trade Compliance at Viavia and a Viavi and uh, he's the first trade compliance director I've hosted on The Compliance Life. In part one, we looked at Matt's early academic career and his early professional life. In part two, Matt moves into um, the corporate world and into trade compliance. So we take a look at how he did that. Uh, a couple of very interesting podcasts released. One, uh, Once Upon a Time, or rather in Classroom Insiders, uh, the podcast by uh, Professor Karen Woody. She continues her exploration through talking to uh, some of her students. And uh, this week she has Tiana Giallo and uh, uh, rather Tian Jia Lu, who studied international business at Beijing Foreign University. And she talks about the challenge challenging the disclosure or abstain rule, insider trading from the 60s through the 80s. So insider trading uh, continues, why, uh, or the history of insider trading with class, Classroom Insiders by Karen Woody. Gwen Hassan is back with another episode of Human Trafficking, and in this week she takes a uh, look at the UK entity Unseen UK and visits with Andrew Wallace, who is the CEO at that entity. It's a charity dedicated to eradicating modern slavery wherever it is found and bringing safety, hope, and choice to the survivors of human trafficking and modern slavery. So uh, a really uh, another great interview and episode from um, Gwen Hassan on Hidden Traffic. 
And finally, I'm extraordinarily pleased to uh, announce to you that the shout-outs and rants section found in each episode of Everything Compliance now has its own iTunes channel. We um, link to it in the show notes, so I hope you will uh, check out. We have a lot of fun with that section, and um, we've got our own iTunes show now. So I've linked to it in the show notes. Check it out. And finally, this week on Everything Compliance, we have our year-end wrap-up. It's our first one where everybody takes a look back at their favorite story of 2021 and their favorite shout-out and rant. So we had a lot of fun with this one. Uh, It was first uh, Everything Compliance we'd done live in some time. We hope to do this uh, going forward, and I hope you will uh, check it out and enjoy this week's episode, our year-end wrap-up of Everything Compliance. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of This Week in FCPA. We'll be back with you on December 24th with an abbreviated version of the stories from the week before Christmas, and then we'll be with you on uh, December 31st with also an abbreviated edition of the stories of the week after Christmas. I hope you will check out these new podcasts on the Compliance Podcast Network. I mentioned them both, um, Hidden Traffic and Classroom Insiders. Uh, They're great new additions to the Compliance Podcast Network. Finally, if you've ever wanted to start a podcast, 2022 would be a great year. If you'd like to be on the Compliance Podcast Network, please give me a shout. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.